Good morning. It's good to see you all out with us today. It's been a wonderful opportunity we've had thus far to worship together. And we're going to continue that as we open up God's Word together this morning and we study from it. I'm going to ask you to open up your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3 is where we're going to begin this morning. This is an interesting passage of Scripture that I came across actually a couple of months ago as I was preparing for uh, the class that we're teaching now in Ezra and Nehemiah. Uh, Malachi chronologically follows Nehemiah as the last book of the Old Testament. Um, That is so chronologically and sequentially in your Bibles as Malachi falls at the very end. Malachi is a, a prophet who talks uh, in his four relatively brief chapters about the promises that God has made to the people of Israel. Uh, he talks about a coming messenger that is going to prepare the way for Christ, who we will later know to be John the Baptist. He talks about Christ himself, who is going to come. A very fitting way for the Old Testament to come to a close. But there's a, a specific passage there in Malachi chapter 3 that, that I want us to spend a few minutes thinking about this morning. And we're going to begin by reading that together. We're going to begin in verse number 8 of Malachi chapter 3, and we're going to read down through the end of that chapter together. Malachi chapter 3 and verse number 8. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing, but there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear the fruit of your field, says the Lord of hosts. And all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a delightful land, says the Lord of hosts. Your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord. Yet you say, what have we spoken against you? When you have said, it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed, for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. Then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him, For those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On the day that I make them my jewels, I will spare them. As a man spares his own son who serves him, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. The particular phrase that I want to call your attention to this morning is there in verse number 8 of Malachi chapter 3. Because the accusation that God makes against the people at this time is that they are robbing him. They are robbing God. 
And in the context of this passage, he goes on to explain what that means. That they are not tithing in the way that the old law commanded that they do so. They were commanded by the old law to give a tenth of all of their produce, of all of their cattle. They were to give a tenth of that to the Lord and his work. And that, that food, that produce that was supplied was then to be given to the Levites to provide for them because they didn't have a land of their own and the ability to provide for themselves in that way. And so as God looks down on the people during this time period, what he sees is a group of people who isn't doing that. They're keeping it all for themselves. They're not giving a tenth as they were supposed to do. As God looks down on that situation, what he sees is a group of people that are robbing him. Now it's interesting because he does not say you're robbing the Levites. He doesn't say you're robbing the temple. He doesn't say you're not being fair. He doesn't even say you're not following the law. He says you are robbing me. That phrase really stuck out to me. How are they robbing God? I, it would make a lot more sense. I would totally understand if they said, hey, you've got to do this or you're not going to be able to take care of the Levites like you're supposed to. That makes sense. But God's not the one eating in this produce. He's not the one relying on a tenth of what I have. How am I robbing him? Well, the truth of the matter is that they were robbing God because everything that they owned belonged to him. Every fruit of the ground that they had belonged to God. And as such, if they misused that fruit or those animals, they were stealing from the owner of those. They were stealing from God. Because all of those things are his. So it made me wonder if the people of Israel could be guilty of robbing God. It sounds like something I need to be careful of as well. Now the easy point of application that we're not necessarily going to make this morning is how we use our money. Because that most closely parallels to the story contained here in Malachi chapter 3. We recently had a lesson on giving and I think the application certainly could apply here in Malachi chapter 3, that certainly we are to use the resources that we have financially in a way that benefits God because they're his. And not doing so would be robbing him. But I want to think about a few other ways in which we could be guilty of robbing God. Because I think this particular image and the wording contained here in Malachi chapter 3 can be incredibly impactful in the way that we think about this in our lives today. How might you, how might I be guilty of stealing from God today? Well, there's three things that I want us to consider this morning. And the first one is fear. It's mentioned here in Malachi chapter 3, towards the end of this chapter that we read just a moment ago, as he looks down on those who have truly feared God. 
But as we look through Scripture, we are routinely told that we are to fear God. That there is supposed to be a level of fear between us and our Creator. But not only are we to fear God, but he also says that we are not to fear anyone or anything else. In fact, in fact, it has been said, and I believe it to be true, although I have not verified this for myself, it has been said that the command or the directive repeated most often in Scripture is do not be afraid. Look in Luke chapter 12. Look in Luke chapter 12. Let's see what Jesus said in regards to fear. Luke chapter 12, beginning in verse number 4, Jesus said, And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that have no more that they can do to you. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after he has killed has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. Fear belongs to God. Fear belongs to him. And so, if we in turn fear those who kill the body, if we in turn fear those who could do us harm, if we fear circumstances, if we fear nations, if we fear the powers of this world, we are robbing from God what is His. More so, fear is an indication of where we are placing our faith. If I fear someone who has broken into my home seeking to do me harm, then in essence what I am saying is that I am more concerned about what they can do to me than my ability to protect myself against them. I don't know what kind of weapons they may have. They've caught me off guard. They have the upper hand. I am fearful in that situation because I don't trust my abilities as much as I trust theirs in that moment. Well, if we apply that same logic to the way that God wants us to fear him, if we in turn place our fear in circumstances, or put our fear in man, that's where our faith resides as well. Because we are telling God that we trust them and their abilities more than we trust him and his promises. Fear belongs to God. And if we fear man, then we are taking what is rightfully his in that process. I would also suggest to you that a misuse of our time is a way that we could potentially be guilty of robbing from God. And, and this comes from the parable that was read to us before the lesson this morning in Matthew chapter 20. One of my favorite parables that Jesus tells, probably my favorite parable that Jesus tells. Such an impactful story, full of application and lessons that we can take away from that. But here, here's the one that I want you to think about this morning in regards to our conversation about robbing from God 
by misusing our time. Did you catch, as we read through Matthew chapter 20, how God, or the master, continues to go out and to bring people in who don't have work to do? They're they're standing around the square. Nobody's hired them. And early in the morning, the master goes out, come work in my vineyard. Later in the morning, come work in my vineyard. Middle of the day, come work in my vineyard. Evening, come work in my vineyard. I think one of the many lessons that we can take away from that parable is that God has work for everyone to do in his kingdom. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 tells us that he created us for good works. The expectation of our creator is that we are put here on this earth to do his bidding. And to be busy in his kingdom. He wants everyone to come be a part of his vineyard doing his work. And so, I think you can see where we're going with this. If that's what God created us for, then choosing to waste that precious time that we have to pursue worldly ambitions, choosing to waste our time thinking about the things that this culture deems important and society wants us to be consumed with, we are stealing from God. Because the precious, limited time that he has given to us is his. It belongs to him. Are you robbing God of that? Think about the time that we have this morning. On the day that the Lord has set aside for his people to gather together and worship him. If we choose to go and do something else, if we choose to not put the importance on assembling together and worshiping in the way that God wants us to, we are robbing him of that time. It is his. This day is his. This being a second Sunday of the month, we're not going to assemble together again this afternoon. But today is God's. That's why working in his kingdom outside of these walls on on a day like this is so important. Because today is his. The time is his. Don't rob him of that. Whatever time we have on this earth, it should be dedicated to him. We should devote ourselves to him. Now, that doesn't in any way mean that we can't enjoy recreation, that we can't enjoy some downtime and some free time. That's not at all, that's not at all the, the, the message or the takeaway that I want you to leave with this morning. But I do want us to move through day-to-day lives and decisions that we make on how we're going to spend our time, reminding ourselves that every moment I have belongs to God. And therefore, is he going to be happy with how I choose to spend this time? Will he look down on me 
and accuse me of stealing from him in the time that I have on this earth. Last one and similar, I think, in some ways to the idea of the misuse of our time is the misuse of our bodies. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 that I referenced just a moment ago in regards to God creating us for good works, just prior to that, it says that we are created, you remember, we are his workmanship. It's the word that Paul uses there in Ephesians chapter 2. We are his workmanship. In a lot of ways, the bodies that we inhabit are God's masterpiece. The abilities that he has given to us, the things that we can do, the way that we can think and process information and emotion, we are God's masterpiece. In Genesis chapters 1 and 2, we see that God spoke man into existence and created man in his image and in his likeness. We are his. Every breath that you take is a gift from God himself. So when I read a passage like 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Verse number 18, flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Sexual immorality is such an abomination to God because you are stealing from his what is rightfully his. Things like addiction, indulgence, lack of self-discipline or self-control, an unwillingness to control the tongue, all of these are ways in which we steal from God what is rightfully His. He has given us our bodies to do good works. He has created us. And He has created us in such a way, Jesus will talk about this in John chapter 14, He has created us in such a way that He can come and make His abode with us. If we choose not to give ourselves over to God, mind, body, and spirit, we are robbing from him. That's why sexual immorality is such an important topic. We've had two lessons on it just recently. That's why topics which we're going to address in the coming weeks about alcohol use and drugs and other addictive properties such as that, that's why these are so important to talk about and to study about and to be careful around. Because your body doesn't belong to you, it belongs to God. And misusing it, mistreating it, using it for things that do not bring glory to him is in essence stealing from him. We would be just as guilty of robbing from God as the people in Malachi chapter 3 were who weren't tithing in the way that they should. Because we are not our own. We belong to God. At the end of the day, I think 
all of these things come down to whether or not we're going to put our trust in God. In Malachi chapter 3, given the time period in which that was written, the people had come back from Babylonian captivity. They had rebuilt the temple. They had rebuilt the walls. And and they were restructuring society. They were restoring society. We talked about that this morning in our Bible class. And there were still some uncertainties that surrounded that. There was opposition around the city that did not want to see them back and rebuilding. There were some hardships that these people were going to face. And I can only imagine, given those circumstances, giving up a tenth of whatever you have grown or whatever livestock you have raised, that's no small ask. You may need that. What if I run out of food? What if, a, what if there's a famine, which there was not long prior to Malachi's writing? There, there could be all kinds of issues that could arise. I, I need this food. I, I, don't, I don't feel comfortable giving a tenth of what I've grown. And so I'm going to keep it for myself. They didn't trust that God would provide. They didn't trust that God would keep his promises. They didn't trust that God would care for them. They felt as if they had to take that all up on themselves. But God reminds them there in Malachi chapter 3 of the promises that he had made and his faithfulness to those promises. And not trusting God is equivalent to robbing God. Do you trust him enough to put your fear in him and him alone? Do you trust him enough to give all of yourselves, your time, your bodies, your mind, to God? Because it's all his at the end of the day. Look back at Malachi chapter 3. I thought it was interesting there in verse number 9, as, as God confronts them with what they are guilty of, he tells them that they're suffering under a curse because they are robbing from him. Stealing from God never ends well. The people of of Israel at this time suffered some physical consequences as a result of that. Stealing from God in our lives, it never ends well for us. There may be some physical consequences that we suffer this side of eternity, but it pales in comparison to the consequences that lie in wait. But as many of God's prophets do, he offers a message of hope for the people. Because he goes on to say there in Malachi chapter 3, that if you give to me what is rightfully mine, if you stop stealing from me and give to me what is mine, you can't even imagine the blessings that I have in store for you. 
Verse 10, I will open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such a blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. You trust me? Stop stealing from me? Give to me what is rightfully mine? You can't even imagine the blessings that will come. I want to leave us with the same message this morning. Think about your relationship to the world. Think about your relationship to man. Think about your relationship to circumstances. Have you reserved fear for God and God alone? Or are you stealing from him? When you think about the way that you spend your time, do you trust God enough to devote yourself to him? Or are you stealing from him? And the way that we use the beautiful creation that he has given to each of us, our very bodies, how we treat them, what we do day in and day out. Do we trust God enough to give to him what is rightfully his? There could be other points of application in regards to this topic as well in ways in which we could be taking from God what is rightfully his, to misuse or to keep for ourselves. I want us to think about the distinction that Malachi makes here in chapter 3 about the one who steals from God compared to the one who gives all to him. Stealing from God puts you under a curse. That carries with it grave, grave consequences. But giving to God what is rightfully his brings blessings beyond, beyond imagine. So if you're here this morning and you think about the relationship that you have with God, I'd ask you to think about whether or not you, like the people at the time of Malachi, are guilty of stealing from him. What is it in your life that you need to return to the rightful owner? What is it that you're holding on to? What is it that is keeping you from trusting fully in the one who created you? If you're here this morning and you recognize a need for the relationship between you and God to be repaired, for you to give of yourself fully and wholly to God, we are ready to help you do that whether it's through prayer, through encouragement, or perhaps you're still carrying the weight of sin that separates you from God. If you're ready to have that removed in the waters of baptism, we can help you do that as well this morning. Whatever your needs are, please come to the front and let us know as we stand and sing.